0: All right, we are in week three of Proverbs, and uh, each week we're kind of taking a look at different themes throughout the the wisdom books. And this uh, this week, as we're as we're entering a season where we are, uh, listen, how many know like the holiday seasons? We're pulled in multiple different directions. You know, we're pulled in the uh, one direction of stuff to buy, decorations to put up, families coming in, busy, 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 busy. How many have already feel the weight of the busyness of the holiday season kind of creeping up on you? And, and can I say that maybe the step back is to take a deep breath and realize that if, you're, if all your decorations don't get put up, it's not the end of the world. If you don't buy everybody a thousand gifts or, or get the right gift or this and that, it's, it's not the end of the world. Um, but that's that's one way that we're pulled into this busyness of the season, and the second one, as as believers, as followers of Jesus, we're pulled into this celebrating a life of thankfulness and preparing the celebration of our Child King's arrival. And so we balance these two its these, these two kind of momentum shifters and changers in our life uh, that are happening at the same time. And too many times, the first one takes precedence over the second. We get so busy and so wore out and so overwhelmed that we forget that the whole reason for the season is Jesus. That without the birth of, of Jesus, without all of that, there is no... Christmas, there's no reason to be truly thankful and blessed and, and, and to, to give our, our, uh, our, our honor and praise to God. And this morning I want to speak on uh, the state of our heart and what Proverbs gives us as wisdom about our hearts. Because the Bible says a lot about our heart. It says a lot about what we are to believe and and kind of what is that, you know, how how many have ever thought like, you know, when the Bible says, you know, the heart or this, the heart or that heart, like, what does it really mean? Because it can't truly just mean the little beating thing that, you know, delivers blood. Right? So what does it truly mean to follow God with the heart that God says for us to follow in? So Brian Johnson, who is a worship leader, um, he says this, people think of revival as a series of meetings in a tent. Revival is a state of the heart that awakened to who God is and his kingdom. I love that. I love that that, that statement that, you know, people think that revival is this meeting place. And I've told you this over and over again. I, I think that when we call a meeting a revival, we're missing all of it really because uh, we can't determine... Uh, any more uh, than anything else, when God is going to truly show up and revive, because it is a state of our heart saying, "God, I need you more than anything. I want you more than anything." And that's what He says. That it, revival, true revival, is the state of our heart being awakened to who God is. It's being awakened to His kingdom coming in our earth and in our, in our life. The the word in Hebrew that is used in many places for heart is. Uh, the, the Hebrew word lave, and it means inner man. It, uh, so inner man it means the will of a, of a human. It means the mind, the human emotions, and the passions. It's that it's that inner being that uh, you know. I guess some would call your consciousness the 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 feeling of life the the that Jiminy Cricket right the the do right do wrong feeling. It's all of that kind of combined into the process of what the Bible calls your heart. That it's that that inwardness that connects to the spirit of God that says there is something more than just doing the motions and going through life. And checking the boxes and and doing doing what's right, but not really like putting my heart and soul into it. If you look at Proverbs 4.23, it says this. It says, guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else. Think about that. How many have ever, you know, have ever heard sayings like, well, just trust your gut. Oh, just, just whatever you're feeling, do it. Right, we, we tell ourselves that the emotion is what guides and leads us. If it feels good, do it. If it feels right, do it. But how many times, more times than not, have you found that when you do that, you jump into trouble? Right. Um, this week, we, I've had a couple of things being thrown at me in, in different scenarios and in different things, um, and if I was to trust my gut, I would make rash, emotional decisions that may not benefit me in the long run. I may say things that would not benefit me in the long run, and, and so the the following your heart is only a good idea if your heart is in the right place, right? And so the question becomes, how do, we, how do we put our heart in the right place? So uh, I've got a handful of thoughts about the heart and what the Bible and what Proverbs in particular says about our heart. And I hope, my, my goal is that it, it leaves you with some thought processes some challenges to go home and say, is my heart lined up with the will and the, and the way of God for my life? And so my, my first thought is this, is that your heart determines your direction. Your heart determines your direction, right? That's what, that's what Proverbs 4.23 says. It says, for it, the heart, determines the course of your life. If you look at Matthew 6.21, it says this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So Proverbs says, guard your heart because it's the, it's the place where, you, where the direction of your life will be. And Matthew says that wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So the New Testament lining up with the Old Testament saying that, listen, what you put your time and effort into, what you put your passions into, will be the direction of your life. So are your passions and are your, your, the, the place where your heart lies, is it first and foremost with Jesus. The starting point for any moment of decision in our life is at the heart. Do I desire my way or do I desire God's way? And how many know that when, we, when we're going through that process of trying to make that decision, sometimes in our head, we're like, oh, I trust God. I want to do God's way. But in our heart, we're being pulled to another direction that doesn't line up with God. And and the passion and the emotion, and it gets us off track because we're following our heart in a direction that isn't lined up with Jesus. And so every decision, every moment, every aspect of our life that has a value to it starts with the decisions in our heart. Questions that, do I know how to determine the difference between the two? Because if you look at the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful. So there's this, there's this kind of juxtaposition of what Jeremiah says. He says, the heart is deceitful above all else. Those words again, right? And then you've got Proverbs uh, writing, saying that guard your heart above all else, because it's the direction that, of the course of your life. And so Jeremiah, what he's stating is this, is that the earthly human emotions, passions, purposes, wills for our life, are deceitful because they will chase after fleeting moments. They will chase after being accepted. They will chase after valuables that we can put our hands and touch and, 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 and things that we can make ourselves feel good. How many know that when you buy something new, it feels good? Right? Or just so I got a bunch of holy, uh, rolling, you know, good, you know, people that, oh, give it away. Let, let, let's build all these wells in Africa. No, when we buy stuff, it feels good. Okay? When I, when, you know. One of my hobbies is guitars. By the way, it's not a cheap hobby <laughs> at all, okay? Thousands of dollars wrapped up into things I will not take to heaven, right? I love them, though. I love getting to play them. I love to get to look at the differences. I was hanging out with Aaron this week and, you know, googling his uh, treasures uh, in musical equipment. And, and I was like a little kid in a candy store, drooling on stuff. He kept handing me a Kleenex and saying, wipe your mouth. It was really <laughs> weird. <laughs> Why? Because the, that, it just it, it excites me. You know, the way that some uh, do when, when you're out fishing and, and, and that, that line hits, right? Now, I'm not a fisherman, so it, that's not my thing. But you know what I'm talking about. When that line snaps, you're like, oh, yeah. And, and it, you ask any fisherman, they don't want the, they don't want the, the easy fight. They want that one. They want, they, they, want it to, they want it to jerk a little bit. Man, they want to they be able to tell their, their story about how it was like Jonah in the well, and it led him around the lake on a, on a hook, right? Because the fish was this big. It's, it's the same. Listen, we, we all have things that we like. It's, it's okay. But it's the question of, can I tell the difference between what is emotional hum, human experience and what God's will and purpose is for my life? And, and, and really, the, the, the way to know the difference is this, is that, is that are, do you know his word enough? Do you know his voice enough? Do I have trustful friends with strong accountability? It's one of the things, I mean, listen, I, I, going through the process this week of, of trying to make a decision, I was on the phone with a couple of different friends asking what their opinion was asking what their help and guidance and thought process was about something. Can I, can I tell you that not one of them agreed really with each other? They didn't know that because I wasn't saying, hey, will you call so-and-so and get them to agree with you? But I had multiple different opinions. If I was a person that was just bound by human emotion to, a, to, to just go, well, you know what, what if, if, if so-and-so says I should do it, then I'm just going to jump full feet both in. Well, so-and-so says you shouldn't do it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the pause button. But when, when you have godly counsel and godly friendships that have accountability to say, hey, what do you think? And they go, well, may, maybe you should think about this. And then you've got another one that's saying, oh, man, look at the opportunity. And Oh, man, what about this? And, and you wrap all of that up into prayer and say, okay, God, now I've sought some counsel. I've sought some friendships that, that I know love you. And now I'm wrapping all of that in and I'm asking, what is your will? And so many times we we feel like we have to jump to something so quickly. And can I tell you that sometimes the way that you need to trust God and and to know his heart is to take the pause and a breath and allow God to speak to you over time and and say, okay, God, unless it's a yes, it's a no, I'm not moving. I mean, that was our our thing here when we moved here. God, we're not going to move and it can't be a maybe. Now, sometimes it can be a maybe. Sometimes God will say, do you trust me? Sometimes it's got to be a yes or no, and he will let you know if you're connected to his heart, if you're in his word, if you're listening for his voice in prayer, because the alternative is I just want to make, uh, I'm going to make decisions based off of the feel good in the moment, following emotions, the high of the life, the the in the moment uh, decision making and the flow of the crowd Well, everybody else is making the decision. Everybody else is doing this. Everybody else is buying this. Ah, I want to keep up. So we've got to realize that the direction of our life is bound by where our heart and the treasures of our heart is. Stuff is nice. God is better. And that's a decision you have to come to grips with on your own. I can't make it for you. I like stuff. But if God said sell stuff, would I? If God said move to a different place and start over, would I? Would I listen to him no matter what, even if it was uncomfortable? It's one of the questions that has led my whole existence in life since I followed Jesus. Will I do the uncomfortable things even if it doesn't make sense? Will I live in an uncomfortable faith even if it means not getting the way I want it or how I want it or when I want it? Is uncomfortable faith more important than the comfortableness of my heart feeling good? Because God will not always make you feel good when you know that you are following him. It's walking through the process. It's walking through the struggle where your heart gets built up and the muscles of faith gets built up. The the, the second thought is once you determine that you're going to follow God with your heart. Now that doesn't mean perfect. That doesn't mean that you have it all together. It just means I'm determining that my heart is going to be following Jesus. The second thing is you must guard your heart and you must trust in God. You must guard your heart, and you must trust in God, right? We see that in the the, the first set of uh, scriptures, right? It says, guard your heart. And and what does it say? I love the the, because the last three words make it uh, extremely important. Above all else. Above all else. Like, you need to guard your mind, but above that, guard your heart. You need, to, you need to guard your family, but above that, you need to guard your heart because if your heart is in the right place, then you will make bad decisions for your family. You need to guard your, your, your time at your work and do a good job, but above that, if your heart isn't in the right place, you won't be the best worker that you can be, and you won't be the best boss you can be, and you won't be the best co- uh, 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 do like, uh, customer service and, and all of those kind of things. When your heart isn't in the right place, you will make emotional decisions that sometimes gets taken out on everybody else. And so above all else, we've got to guard the heart in what God is pouring into us. Proverbs 3 and 5 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. It is to say, God, it is your way and not mine. It is what you want and not what I want. You know, uh, in, in the New Testament, uh, the disciples say it this way. I must decrease so that he must increase. You, if, if, if I had a jar of water up here and it was full to the brim, if, if, if I needed more water in there, what would I have to do? I would have to pour out what was in so that I could fill it up with better stuff. And so many times in our life, we are a full vessel, full of the things that do not line up with God that maybe have struggled, our past pains and our past hurts, and the things that have kept us from being where God wants us to be, and our heart is broken and our heart is heavy. And God says, if you would just trust me enough to pour out the things that you have walked through, to to, to deal with and be vulnerable with the things that you have walked through, we can pour out those things so that my spirit can fill you up in a way that you've never dreamed or imagined. And the problem is we, we stick with the things that we know because at least we know them. I may not like my pain, but I know what to expect with it. With faith, it's hard because, God, what what if I feel let down? What if I don't feel you on Monday morning? What if I don't feel you two months from now? And he'll say, but I'll still be there if you trust me. In Proverbs, it also says that the way of a man will seem right in his own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. I love that line because it will look right, it looks like a good decision, but until we ask God to examine the, the, the why, right, not the what, but the why, because the what could be right, I'm going to sound like Dr. Seuss in a minute, um, the what could be right, but the time could be wrong. And so what happens is, is that the why determines the how. And now I've just created a math equation that blue pancakes are on the roof. I mean, it's like, it makes no sense. But the reality is, is that it starts with the why. And we like to start with the what. God, what would you want me to do? God, what would you have me to do? God, what is my gifting? What is my, what is the promise? And God is going, forget the what. Let's look at the why. Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to be this person? Why do you want to make this decision? Because I'm going to examine, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to look at your motives and and we're going to. Ask that you trust me through the process. Why don't we move in power and purpose as, as, a, as a follower of Jesus? Because we are not in step with the heart of God. We're trying to run ahead of him. We're trying to pull him back. And we're, we're just going, God, which this is why God seems like he's um, sporadic and, and, and schizophrenic. And, and it's not him. It's because we're trying to manipulate God's will to our what instead of trusting him in our why. But God, I want to do this. And he's like, yeah, okay, cool. But why do you want to do this? There's a lot of things in my life that were the right thing, but the wrong timing. Okay, perfect example would be me and my wife. <laughs> Some of y'all are going, easy, partner. Step gently here, right? But, but okay, so we've known each other since we were 14 years old. Um, And, and it would have been to give the, our story would take far more time than I've got this morning, but the, the condensed real extremely quick version of this is we're best friends. She, I did not fit her type at all. Okay. I'm not tall, (laughs) by the way. um, If you haven't noticed, I'm not tall. Um, If it's a shock to you, I'm sorry. Uh, But uh, my doctor said I was average height. I asked him for what? Uh, and I kid you, I, that was a serious conversation that I had with my doctor as a teenager. You're about average height. I'm like, for a female? Like, not for a male. <laughs> like, five, I didn't hit five foot till I was in high school. There's nothing average about that for a guy, okay? Uh, so I wasn't tall. I was athletic, but I wasn't, you know, there was, there was things that, that didn't, I didn't fit her, her mold of her past boyfriends or whatever, right? And, and so, but she was pretty, really, there wasn't a whole lot more than I needed as a teenage boy, right? Um, she was pretty, and she was a friend. I mean, it was like, you know, those are just deadly combinations. Guys, we're not as deep as women want us to be. And so we're like, she's pretty, and she's a friend. She must like me. No. <laughs> it's not. So there's a whole lot more to women than that. <laughs> um, you know, you could listen, women can find you attractive even if the rest of the world calls you ugly, um, and so, because there's a lot more that they're looking at. Guys, we're just like, oh, pretty. <laughs> me likey. And, and, and that's all we need. And, and, but I will say this, that we had, so we had, there was a group of us, me, Billy, Sarah, and Stephanie. And, uh, and, and so, even though she was the prettier one, she was also the meaner one at that age. And uh, she knows it, and, and she, it's nothing I'm not, that she wouldn't say herself, and so we thought that Sarah, from a, uh, a human standpoint, was, was more attractive in the sense that we knew we weren't going to get our butts kicked. And, uh, and so, but, all of that, as we progressed in our friendship, she became my best friend. And as weird as it may sound, like we knew, and, and, and boy, what a can of worms that this could be to open up, but we knew at a young age that we were going to get married. We had no feelings for each other. Ah. This wasn't Stockholm Syndrome. I didn't make her believe it. And then she fell in love with me, okay? It's like, this was real. Um, But I remember, because it was weird, because I remember still sitting on the gazebo in Lincoln Park uh, in California, where she said, I really do believe that God told me that you're gonna be my my husband, but I don't like you like that. (laughs) Shot through the heart and it's too late. Like, dang, let me down slowly. (laughs) The problem was is that once we verbalized that, though, now there became something in the emotional atmosphere that made us want to progress it faster than God wanted to move it. And because of that, we made mistakes along the way at a young age because we tried to play uh, God and we tried to rush what he had to cook. We wanted to microwave a relationship when God wanted to put it in the slow cooker. And so many times in life, we want to put our choices and our decisions and the the what in the microwave, and God is saying, no, 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 to get the flavor of life that I want for you, you need to put it in the slow cooker, and you need to trust me, and you need to lean into me so that the process is done right. So many times in our life, we try to do that. We've got to protect our our life. I need to protect my heart from sin. I need to protect it from selfishness. I need to protect it from worldliness. I need to protect it from the deceiver. I need to protect the most vital aspect. Think about it, your, your heart, your real heart, the thing that pumps blood and keeps you alive. Could you imagine if it was on the outside of your rib cage? One hit and you'd be done. Why? It's protected by this mass of bones that that surrounds it and says it will have to do a lot of damage to get to it. If God created our body to protect a vital organ, then why would we not protect our spiritual organ, the, the, the heartbeat of our spirit, the same way? Instead of just giving it away and, 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 and jumping headfirst and making decisions and doing all these things, and then we wonder why our heart gets broken, and we wonder why we're always falling down, and we, un- we wonder why we're always being caught into sin, and we wonder why we're always being deceived by our enemy. We need to spiritually protect it through prayer, through God's word, and through the Holy Spirit. Man, you should wake up every day, Holy Spirit, protect my decisions that they would line up with your will. Protect my heart and my thought process that I may give you glory in the aspects of my life. We've got to guard our heart, and we've got to trust God. And some of us, quite frankly, we need to run like Joseph. Some of you are going, I don't know what that means. Listen, Joseph was in a a lot of situations that he didn't get to choose on his own, and when, when Potiphar's wife, the, the second in command, when, when the leader of the army's wife, who had to be pretty because, uh, you know, it, it, it says that, um, and so when she, she literally corners him in her bedroom and says, you've been given control of everything else, now come and get me. Like, if y'all don't think the Bible has really cool stories, you're missing out. Like, this is better than any soap opera. She corners Joseph. And what does Joseph do? He runs. He says, got to go. And so many times in our life, we get into scenarios where we're like, oh, I wish I could escape. And God's going, just run. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Get out of here and let's get back to the heart of me. Some of y'all get yourselves into scenarios and then you go, well, I'm already here. I might as well just see it through. No, turn around and run and seek God and, and say, God, I need you to turn my heart so that I don't get back into that situation. You need to guard your heart and trust God with all of your heart and turn your heart over to God so that you don't have a plan B. The reason why we stop trusting God when it's hard is because we already have an out. I'm not going to go to church anymore because church hurt. I'm not going to go to, I'm not going to get connected because the last time I told him my my stuff, you know what? It became an issue. So I'm just not going to talk to anybody and I'm just going to go through life on my own and I'm just going to deal with it. That's what the enemy wants you to do. When you deal with humans, guess what? They're going to screw up. The grace of God to say, did he not forgive you for your sins? I will forgive others. It doesn't mean that you necessarily will give them free reign into your life, but you've got to start trusting what God is doing in your life, putting people in your life. Guard the bad and trust God in the hard times. Be disciplined in the ways of God. The next thing you've got to realize is that God examines the heart. Proverbs 21:2 People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines the heart. He examines the motives. Proverbs 17, three, fire tests purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. God does not look at the outward as to determine if we are truly one of his. He looks inward. Can I I tell you that I believe, listen, you can fool a lot of people, amen? Put on a smile, maybe don't say anything, just kind of walk through life. You're good. And you can fool the rest of the world where you're at in your life the Bible says that God knows where you're at. He knows where your heart's at. And he wants a relationship with you so that he can start to change and shift, start to, to get those things in line with his will and his purpose. Because he examines the inside. That's why when somebody walks into church and maybe their life is a mess and, and the rest of the world goes, I can't believe. I want a church full of people, I can't believe they just walked in here. I want to reach a community of people of going, oh, I could never, I I hear this all the time uh, up at the station when I say, hey, you should come to church with me. Oh, you don't want me to come into your church. You're not that cool. And the church is not going to burn down. I've had worse people walk in. (laughs) Because the enemy gets them to believe that church holds no value because all we do is see church as something to do and not as who we are. What makes church value, what makes church fun, what makes church the church is when we do life together and we goof off with one another and we pray with one another and we go have coffee with one another and and we we just do all the mundane things together as well as the super spiritual stuff. And where the power exists is not in any of this stuff. If the church burned down, guess what? The next Sunday, we'd still have church. I don't know where, but we'd have it. Because this building is not going to define whether God's power and God's purpose and God's plan for our life exists. I'll have it out in the freezing cold and the rain. I don't care because God's people will meet because God's heart is to pour into us. And so we have got to start putting value and understanding that God is not looking for us to look apart, but He's looking for us to just trust and fall at His foot. He is testing us and challenging us to rise above what we want to do and how we feel. If you serve God only when you feel good, you will never grow. Serving God has to come in the hard times too. It has to be putting others above yourself when it doesn't feel good, when it's uncomfortable, when you don't want to. I don't feel like going to church today. My, my bed feels so warm. We're in that season. We're in that season where you are deciding on whether or not you're going to wake up and put your clothes on and go to church, or if you're just going to hang out with, you know, Sister Sheet and Brother Pello. Uh. He examines the inside. He examines the why. Just like he did with David, right? All of his brothers fit the part of King Moor. God chose David because of his heart because he knew that he would serve people well, and he would serve them with passion, and he would serve them in godliness. God looks at the inside, and he says, I want to challenge you to look like me and I want to challenge you to make you the best version of yourself in my image. He tests us to make us better. And how, the question is, how are we going to respond? Are we going to trust him? Are we going to seek him? Are we going to worship him through the hurt and the trials? The next thing is, and i getting close, promise. But there's a lot to our heart. I want you to understand that. It's not just this very simple thing. The next thing is this, and it's, I think, one that hits a lot of people right now is mental health is a heart issue. Now, I may offend some of you with some of the things that I'm about to say because we want to coddle our emotions. Emotions are good. They're not bad. But I want you to hear a couple of scriptures. Proverbs 17, 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. Hello. Proverbs 15, 13, A glad heart makes a happy face. A broken heart crushes the spirit, Proverbs fourteen thirty. a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body and jealousy is like a cancer to the bones. The enemy knows what he is doing by causing a mental health crisis in our day and age. If you tell the world long enough that they're broken and give them a fake solution to the issue, we will sit in our mess and call it the solution. I'm broken and I know it and that's good enough. And it's not. It's not good enough just to to call something or label something or to, to say you are something without a true biblical solution to a spirit. Because mental issue, mental health issues is a spirit. It is not just something that we wake up one day and have. It is a spirit that has tried to take us over. You can read all the self-help books you want, but the true answer is found in Jesus and allowing him to give you a heart exchange. Now, here's what i listen, don't hear this and go, oh, see, he's anti-therapist and he's anti-pills. No, I'm not, but that is not the only answer. We need therapists. We need medicine. But more than any of that, we need Jesus. And we need to, I think where I get just so fed up in this conversation with anything, mental health, addiction, any of this, is that we make it a label and we tell Jesus that he can't defeat that label. No, oh, you know, Pastor Scott, I'm, I'm just an addict. No, you're not. Shut up. The moment you stop calling yourself that and you start trusting God, maybe you'll find freedom. Now, you may still have those urges, and you may still have those desires for the rest of your life, but you won't have that label. Well, you don't understand. I, I get depressed, so, my, so I, must, I must be in depression. Or maybe the spirit of depression has found a home in you because you won't kick it out, because you have allowed it to call it home sweet home. And I'm not saying that there aren't things that people be on medicine for the rest of their life. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you look at these scriptures, a cheerful heart is good medicine. A glad heart makes a happy face. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. What the Bible is saying is that sometimes you have to stop listening to your emotions and stop listening to the voices in the head that are saying, woe is me, and you have to force it. Count the blessings. Force it to remember all the good that God has done in your life and all that he's brought so that a smile creeps up on your face because a smile does change the inward spirit of a person. Stop looking for the wrong. Stop looking for the negative. Stop looking for the hurt. Stop holding on to the past and come to Jesus and say, God, I need your healing. And it may not happen right then, but if you keep pressing in, it will happen. We have a mental health issue because we have stopped telling people to seek Jesus and just seek self-help. How many know that we can't help ourselves that good? How can I be a child of a God that says I'm an overcomer, overcomer, but I label myself broken, imperfect, anxious, and depressed? Because I've yet to find a scripture where it says that you can be an overcomer and be something else. And you may feel anxious and be an overcomer. I want you to hear that. Being an overcomer doesn't make it mean you have it all together. It means that even in my emotions of feeling this way, I'm not going to let it run my life. I may feel down today, but I'm not going to let it run my life. I'm going to get up and I'm going to say, God, I'm yours. I trust you. Let's do this. And some people may say it's faking it, but I say it's trusting Jesus. You look at the New Testament, it says, uh, be anxious in nothing. And and I've I've taught this before, that that doesn't mean that you're never anxious. It means that in your anxiousness, you pray. In your anxiousness, you don't throw on the music that makes you more anxious. You, You seek him. In the moment where you're, where you're overly down or something bad happens and it takes the whole rug out from under your feet, you don't go back to that sappy song that brings you back into the blues. You put on some worship music and you worship Jesus through it. We've got to change the environment and the labels of our lives. You can't have an emotion in a battle is so that as to create a healthy inward spirit that knows how to fight and win in those battles. Last two things about our heart is that faith starts in the heart. Sharice, you can come up. Faith starts in the heart. Romans 10 and 10. For it is by believing in what? In your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. In church, we skip the heart part and we just ask you to repeat a prayer. And that's why a lot of people will go, I just don't know if I'm saved. Oh, I've said the prayer like 30 times. I've gone to the altar multiple times and asked God to forgive me and asked this, but, but it was just words because we skip the whole first part. It is by believing in your heart you are made right with God. Faith doesn't start up here. It starts in here. That Greek word, the Greek word for heart, so I talked about the Hebrew word, but the, the Greek word for heart literally means it is the center and seat of your spiritual life. It's the soul or mind as it is the fountain and seat of the thoughts, the passions, the desires, the appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors. That's the Greek word for heart. It is the center and seat of our spiritual life. So when the Bible says that we are to believe in our heart, it means that the center of our spirit is has to attach itself to Jesus. Our thoughts can't just go, I'm going to say some words after a a pastor. No, my heart is going to say, I need a savior. Because the center of my heart has attached itself to my past hurts. The center of my heart has attached itself to self-worth that is is not good. The center of my spirit has attached itself to the struggles that I'm walking through and I need a savior that will overcome all of that. In other words, faith starts when our heart is birthed a desire, purpose, passion, and unwavering certainty to follow Jesus. Though 10,000 may fall to my right and 20,000 to my left, I will trust in Jesus. Though everybody else may say that it's, it's lame and everybody else may say it's not worth it, I will follow Jesus. When I can pay my bills and have money in the bank, and when I can't pay my bills, I will follow Jesus. When I have good days or I have bad days, I will follow Jesus. There is a certainty that my my emotions and my circumstances do not change where I'm rooted. And I guess my takeaway for today, my last thought is this. You must live in a way that changes your heart. We must live in a way that changes your heart. The Bible says that we should put no idols before God. We should, we should guard what enters our life, what we watch, what we hear, what we think, what we do. We should have biblical habits, and we should serve people through actions. When you have an issue with your heart, you go to the doctor. The doctor will tell you some stuff by hooking it all up and reading it and some fancy stuff. You have a heart attack, right? The doctor will say, hey, listen, there's some things that need to change. And if you don't change them, you're you're, you're gonna head down a road of destruction. Now when a doctor tells us that our ears perk up and we go, hmm, I don't like that. So Dr. Jesus is telling you today that if you're having a spiritual heart attack, if your heart isn't healthy, it's time for a heart exchange. It's, t- listen, because when, when, we, when we go through those uh, physical things in our life, what, what do we do? The first thing that uh, the many people that I've met that have gone through a heart attack or anything like that, what's, they, they change their eating habits. They start working out a little bit. They, they, they start prioritizing with intention the things that are going to make them better. Your spiritual heart is under attack and you need to change some things. So maybe this week during Thanksgiving, the, the, the challenge is, God, What where are, where are the things that is making my spiritual heart hurt? Maybe it's an eating habit. Maybe you're not picking up the word of God enough. Maybe you're not praying with purpose. Maybe you're praying, but maybe it's just getting through it. I, listen, I've been there. When you pray just because you feel like you have to, but you just feel like you're just throwing words out, I get that. Pray with some intention. To Ask the Holy Spirit to come in and to, to, to work in your life, to get with a good friend and, and have accountability. There's, think, there's six weeks left in 2023. That just scared some people, maybe. Six weeks left. Then we turn the calendar. Let me ask you something. If we wipe all of 2023 out, you got six weeks to make a difference. What would you change? What in your heart would you ask God to come in and do? so that you can walk in freedom and walk with purpose and walk with intention so that you can have an effect on your community and the people that you deal with every single day. Our word for for this year was to be effective. You got six weeks. I don't care what has happened to you up until this moment. I do, but I don't for a moment. You got six weeks, none of that matters. Let's move in intentionality so that we can be effective for the glory of God and that our heart can shift and change to look like him. I'll end with this scripture, Psalms 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And then I love the other uh, scripture in Psalm and it's not in there created me a pure heart to so search me and know my heart and then God created me something because I'm going through a spiritual heart attack and I need you to shift and change and I need a heart exchange that looks like you will you close your eyes and pray with me this morning I'll just ask you plainly is there anybody in here that says man you know what I need a heart exchange I I have allowed my spirit to go through heart attack after heart attack, struggle after struggle. And I just need God to come in and to to, to work in me and to create in me a pure heart. If that's you this morning, I just want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. God, nothing, well, I shouldn't say nothing. Outside of a spiritual miracle, most things are not overnight. They're not microwaved, they're slow cooked. But God, it it starts with a step. You you can't cook something if you don't start to pull it out and to prepare it. And so, God, I pray that we would start to pull on, on, on the things inside of our life, inside of our spirit man, inside of our inner man, the heart of our soul. That we would start to pull it out and say, God, what is it that you want to do in me? I want my heart to line up with you, God. I need to guard it from the things that have been attacking it. I've got to speak life into the heart. I've got to speak your word into my heart. I've got to speak truth. And I need good people to rally around me. And I need to be good people for somebody. So God, I'm asking that you would create in me a, a pure heart, a clean heart so that I might follow you with as as much ability that I can so that I can be be known as a man or woman after God's own heart. And God, I know that our lives will not be perfect, and I know that we won't have it all together, but God, I know that we're going to let go of the labels that do not line up with your will. God, I pray that we would get in our food a little bit more. We would eat of your word. We would spend time in prayer and that we would spend time with people that, that know you and love you and want to see the best in us and we hold each other accountable in living this life for you, Father. Because the byproduct of that is effective living in Jesus. That lives would be changed, souls would be saved, and a community would know the glory of our Father because of the life that we live. God, I pray those, those scriptures and Proverbs over our people today. A cheerful heart is good medicine. We would learn to laugh again. We would learn to smile. God, we would learn to find joy even in the smallest things amidst the struggles. We would count our blessings. God, we love you, and I pray, God, your peace and your blessing over our people. For those that are not here that are sick, God, we pray your healing hand over their life. God, have your way in us. Challenge us this week as we go through Thanksgiving. As we bring thanks to you, God, help us to live thankful in our life. We give you glory and honor. Your people said, amen.